Well, again, good morning, everybody. We are so glad that you have chosen to worship with us this morning uh, at Revive Christian Church. Uh, we are online again. I think this is week four of our online services, and every single week, attendance seems to be growing. And I know last week we had, again, people from all over, and I've heard from other pastors in their online services that they are growing. More and more people are coming online uh, to listen and tune in, and so we're grateful. One thing I want to make sure you guys understand uh, that our goal is not to replicate what we would do on a Sunday morning at Ferguson or wherever our church is meeting. Uh, we don't want to replicate what happens there in place of the worship on the Sunday, uh, but to engage you into God's Word and the message of Christ in your home. And that's what we want to do, that you would spend time with God in your home, that you would be worshiping Him in your home, that you would uh, have communion in your home together and that you would, you know, for our parents, for you to teach your children uh, the love of Christ and the message of Christ in your home. And so, again, hopefully we've been able to uh, kind of step into your house where you're at and kind of walk alongside you in that. And hopefully we're just going to continue to get better. Last week we started our Easter series, a three-week series called Jesus is King. And it's a series that's based on this idea of a chess match uh, between God and the devil, good versus evil, the ultimate showdown, the ultimate battle. And last week, we kind of set up the board uh, for you, and it was we were talking about the opening moves, the opening moves, and the very first move is that Satan rebelled against God, that he rebelled, and then he was cast down, and uh, while he was slithering around through the garden, he uh, tempted Adam and Eve, and then sin enters the world when they eat of the fruit. And But the entire time, God has a plan, and God's plan was to redeem the world. Now, oftentimes, this is what happens. Uh, God's plan and what it looks like doesn't always match the plans that I have. <laughs> have you guys noticed that? That when I have a plan and I think this is the way it should go, and then God is like, you know what, I got a, I got a different plan. Maybe you should trust my plan. Uh, my wife and I were watching the movie Hitch the other day, and there's a scene where Hitch is out on a date, and he's planned it out perfectly. He's got every detail covered, uh, but then something happens, the date completely goes downhill, it ends up being a disaster, and he's standing over to the side, and he's kind of scratching his head, and he's going... And this is what he says. He says, I, I saw that going differently in my head. I saw that going differently. And oftentimes, this is exactly what happens uh, with my plans and God's plans, that oftentimes they don't mesh up. When I was in my 20s and 30s, I had a plan. I thought, you know what? I'm going to marry the most beautiful lady in the world. That part I got right. And once I do, though, I'm going to have a son, and he will grow up to be a man. And we are going to wrestle, and we're going to get bloody together. We're going to play sports together. We're going to go to the ballpark and watch a game, and he's going to be just as much into the game as I am. And that's going to be amazing, you know, father and son. And then one day we will toast to one another, father and son, and we will look back upon our epic battles and the competitions that we've had and we will look at the scars that we have uh, from the rug burns and from the stitches, and we'll just reminisce. You know, that was kind of the plan that I had. And it was almost like God was looking down upon me 
and laughing and saying, oh dear boy, uh, watch this. Because instead of everything that I just described, I have pretty much the complete opposite. Uh, I have the most delicate, the most beautiful, the most bubbly daughters that I can imagine. Uh, my world is filled with pink and princesses. And the other day, Olivia, who is my youngest, uh, she said, Dad, I want to show you something. I want to show you something. And so she grabs me by the hand, and this should not have shocked me, but as we're walking down the hallway towards her room where she had set something up, she calls me Eric. She goes, come on, Eric, let's go. And I'm like, I don't understand. Who's Eric? And I, I thought in my mind, you know, because she has an Uncle Eric, and they call him Uncle E. So maybe, and so I asked her, I said, why, why, are, why did you call me Eric? And she goes, you're Prince Eric. You're Prince Eric, Dad, which means that now we are now placing ourselves in the movies. And not just that, and I started thinking, oh my gosh, it's not only am I stuck in a Disney movie, but I am stuck in The Little Mermaid, uh, because I am now Prince Eric, uh, which I have to admit, uh, this movie, what's it called? It's called The Little Mermaid is my least favorite movie of all the Disney movies. Uh, I, it's just not my favorite because I always thought that Ariel was kind of a selfish brat. All right, uh, She is never satisfied. She always wants more. She's never content with what she has. Even in her song, she says, I want more. She has all this stuff and yet she's not happy. And so, but my daughter, you know, God love her. That's the world that they live in. They have their idea of what the world will look like, and their world revolves around princesses and princes and queens and kings. They dress up, they turn the entire house into the world of their imagination, and it usually resembles something of a Disney movie. And here's the fascinating part. Their mother, my beautiful wife, does absolutely nothing to challenge that, to discourage it. She just lets it go. But every single character, they have exactly, this is what it should look like. And for you guys that have kids, especially young girls, you know how this plays out. They know what the queen is supposed to look like. They know what the princess and the prince. They also know what the king is supposed to look like. And that entered my mind this past week as we are in the series of the king, uh, Jesus is king. Because the king, in their, in their mind, he is the master. He's the master of the house. He is, they know exactly what he should look like, what he should sound like. They have him described with every single detail. This is what the king will be like. And it's usually in royal robes, lots of gold, and a crown, and the power that the king has, because when he goes into battle, he is always victorious. And that he would lead against any kind of oppression, any kind of tyranny he would actually that you would if you were living under that king's rule you would have freedom to live your life and all throughout the old testament the people of israel they wanted a king one that looked exactly what i just described that he would look very kingly i don't even know if that's a word but he would look royal that he would look powerful that there would be lots of gold and that there would be a lot of wisdom in that king. And so 
That's what the people all throughout the Old Testament wanted. They wanted somebody who was going to be their king. And they felt like that's exactly what they needed in that time period. They were trying to figure out what was important and what do they need now to make life better under the circumstances that they were in. You see, things back then were not too different than what they are right now. Because that's exactly what we are doing. We're scrambling around trying to figure out what do we need in order to survive in this life right now. And it's kind of chaos. And I get that. I totally do. Uh, Because that's something that in our house we're trying to figure out under the the virus situation. Uh, What do we need to do? What do we need to get? And it's not only in our house. As a church, that's something that we're trying to figure out. What are some of the things that we need to do? Um, to best be the church that God wants us to be. And we're also trying to figure out who to trust. You know, who do we trust in these times when it comes to the information? And we have all these questions. And you have all these questions. We have questions about viruses. We have questions about jobs. We have questions about the economy and school. What's open and what's not? Are we allowed to go anywhere? And if we are allowed to leave our homes, how far can we go? Uh, one of the questions that I had is, can we walk up to a drive through window at a restaurant? And I'll just tell you, you can't. You're not allowed to walk up to a drive through at a restaurant. But then this past week, um, I, I heard that a lot of truck drivers, a lot of semi-truck drivers, uh, were not getting uh, good hot meals because they had these you know, 18-wheelers. And they couldn't take them to the drive through and yet the inside, the dining room, is closed. And so uh, what our church did, what your church did, is we reached out to Johnson's Corner and just made sure all the truck drivers were getting fed. And I got a call and said, yes, they are. And so we're excited about that. But we have questions. But when it's all said and done, I think what we all want most is peace. We want peace. We just want to have peace. Peace knowing that everything is going to be okay. And so my question is, where are we searching for that peace? This past week, where did you search for that peace? And for me, I love going to God's Word, going to Scripture. And in John 16, 33, it says this, and this is Jesus' words. He says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. In me, in Christ, in Jesus, in the King that God provided, you will have peace. But far too often, just like the people in Israel in that day, they looked to human provisions instead of godly provisions. They wanted to know what they could provide. It's what would actually get them into trouble. Uh, God, give us a king. Give us a king because everyone else has a king. We want to have a king. And so we need a human leader, a person, somebody that we can actually touch, somebody that we can see. And God did promise them a king. He did promise them a deliverer, but his king would look different than the king that my daughters would describe, right? The, The king that they would dream up in their imagination, that is formed by Disney. And it's not just them. 
It was the same way for the people of Israel during the time of Samuel. The king would look different. It would also be the same for the people in first century Palestine, for the Jews. And it also goes for you and me today. We always think this is the way it should look, and God sometimes will deliver something that looks different. Because when we think about a king, we think about that chess piece that is born into a palace, that is born into the care of maidservants, that is born into money and riches and wealth that we always think of when we think of a king. We think of grand dining halls and extravagant banquets. And when God places his king on the chessboard, very few will recognize him as the king. He didn't enter onto the board the way that we think in our human understanding, in our human thinking, the way that he should enter. Because instead of being born into a palace, he was born in a manger where animals gather. In Luke chapter 2, verse 7, it says, She gave birth, talking about Mary, she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Instead of being raised in Jerusalem or being raised in Rome, uh, he would be raised in Nazareth, which is a town up in Galilee, uh, not a place where you'd have thought a king would be raised. And instead of having every need met by servants and being served by others, he would actually come to serve. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others. And instead of living in a palace, he would search each day to find out where he could lay his head to sleep. Luke chapter 9, verse 58 says, But Jesus replied, Foxes have dens to live in, and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. And instead of living a life of worldly wealth, he would actually leave the wealth of heaven, come to earth and become poor. Second Corinthians, this is the way Paul describes it in chapter 8, verse 9. He says, You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his provision, by his poverty, sorry, he could make you rich. He became poor so that by his poverty, he could make you rich. When God introduces his king, it left many people scratching their heads. Because when the Jews were looking for a king, it looked different in their minds. God delivers a different kind of king. And it also didn't play out the way that they thought it would. It plays out different. See, the prophet Isaiah tells us that our thoughts are not going to be God's thoughts. They're not going to be the same. That our ways are not His ways. So we, we can think all we want that this is the way it should happen. This is the way it should go down. This is the way that every scenario should go. But lucky for us, God has a plan that may look different. And what is so important is that we trust that God knows better when it comes to what is best for our lives. Trusting that God knows better when it comes to what is best for our lives. But here is where it gets slightly close 
to the God that, or the king that they can dream of and the king that God gave them. The closest that it ever came is found in John chapter 12. And if you have your Bibles with you, turn to John chapter 12. But before I read that, there's a couple things to keep in mind. Uh, Jesus just brought a man back from the dead. You guys know him as Lazarus, and that's pretty cool. It wasn't fake news. There were witnesses uh, to the event, because he, and because he performed this miracle, word is now spreading fast about Jesus, and people more than ever want to see him. And what happens next is the fulfillment of prophecy uh, from the book of Zechariah. Because right after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, this is what is going to happen. Here's the way Zechariah prophesies it. In chapter 9, verse 9, he says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Here comes your king, Jerusalem. Your king is on the way the one that you've been waiting for. He will be righteous and he will be victorious. Those are words, that's a description that a lot of us would think, okay, that's that's the imagery that we would have of our king. But then it says that he will be humble and he'll ride in on a donkey. And and so we start to, okay, where where's where is that? What's the imagery now? Now, fast forward. John chapter 12. Jesus had just healed Lazarus. And it says the next day, verse 12 through 14, the next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and they went down the road to meet him. They shouted, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. Jesus found a donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy. This is the triumphal entry. This is what we celebrate today. Today, Palm Sunday, we celebrate Jesus coming in, being treated like a king. And this, they're starting to get the glimpse. This is what we've been waiting for. This is what we've always hoped for. This is what we wanted. In fact, it's even better. Because our king, he's bringing people back from the dead. So you're thinking, man, our, our king is cooler than your king because... Our, our king, can, when he can resurrect people, which is a really cool trait to have. And so the excitement of Jesus is building. People are getting excited. Finally, we have waited all for this time. And even though the first 33 years didn't go the way that we thought it would go, the raising up of our king, it's all starting to fall into place. But again, it doesn't go the way that they thought it would go. Because five days later, instead of cheering, there would be shouting. Instead of a king being lifted up on an earthly throne, he would be lifted up on a cross. Well, how could that happen? How could the game end up being played out like that? How could our so-called king who is supposed to deliver us from Rome, die on the very structure that Rome was crucifying people. And I'm, you can almost hear in the background Satan whispering, 
check. Check. That term so often used in chess that is pronounced when the king is in danger of going down in the very next move by the opponent. And in the span of five days, we go from triumphal entry to the cross. You see, the king that God delivered wasn't the king that they were looking for, but he was the king that they needed. Because a fallen world needs a risen king. And guess what? We get to celebrate that next week. We get to celebrate because the game is not over. God is not done. And we can celebrate that. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you that you had a plan all along. And that your king doesn't look like our king. And we are so grateful because your king isn't necessarily what we wanted, but is what we needed. And so we thank you that we can celebrate that this week as we move into a Passover week, as we get ready for Easter. And I pray that even though the circumstances this year may look a little different, that there's nothing that can take Easter away and that we will celebrate in our homes, we will celebrate together online a risen King. And so we're grateful. And this we ask in your name. Amen.